0: I'm not sure why um, the Lord directed me to share this message this morning. It's one that some of you know that I've kind of had in the back burner for maybe a year or so. I had mentioned it. I'll explain why I haven't shared it before. And I might just want you to think about something. We're going to be looking at faith, fear, and foolishness. That's three things. And if we spend a few minutes on each one... um, Well, hopefully there won't be too many exploding crockpots, but keep one thing in mind, your stomach thinks it's only quarter after ten right now, (laughs) unless you've been eating early for a while. So just keep that in mind this morning. Um, Yesterday it was only quarter after ten at this very moment. Any one of these three subjects could have probably a series of messages on them. So you might feel like none of them are are touched very uh, deeply this morning. I understand that. What I want us to see more is maybe a balance between them and some things that we need to be careful of. And what really started me thinking about this message, and some of you might be thinking, oh, no, did I write something I shouldn't have on a piece of paper returned in for the Statement of Faith and Practice? I did say something, and I don't even remember sure who all said what, but I, I... Early on, in our process of the statement of faith and practice, I began to kind of get this sense that if someone is cautious about something or is not interested, maybe, in changing a standard or maybe wants to tighten up a standard, that it's simply based out of fear. That if we have enough faith, we can just, we don't have to worry about any kind of thing like that. And I thought that's not maybe the, uh, the best balance. On the other hand, sometimes a lack of desire for change can be based on fear. There's a balance in this thing. And so I was wanting to preach this message, and I decided I'd wait until maybe we got through part of the statement of faith and practice just so people wouldn't think that this message was only about trying to sway certain things certain ways or whatever, and you wouldn't hear the message and apply it because that's all you could focus on. And then about time I thought maybe it would be good to share it. Uh, a little thing called COVID came along, and this morning, depending on which side of some of those things you are on, you're going to find things in the message. Aha! See? yep, Yeah. Yep. Well, either side, I think, and there's a balance there too. And so, I decided well. It's probably not best to preach it in the middle of that because, again, it's only going to be heard for that and nothing else. And here that came along after I um, was planning to talk about this. So what I want us to do is kind of see a balance this morning as we look at these three things. The first one we're going to look at is faith. And I'm going to, on a couple of these, kind of start out maybe on the what, what it isn't and then look at what it is to kind of help us see Uh, maybe the direction we're heading. So, faith is not a mere belief without action. Okay? And I want you to turn with me to James. We have a number of uh, places I want us to look at this morning in the Scripture. And I probably won't make a lot of comments on some of these passages for lack of time, but just to kind of help you. And if you're a note taker, maybe jot these down and look at them later. Study them out. And maybe at some point I will uh, delve into some of these matters a little more in depth uh, one at a time. But in James chapter 2, starting at verse 14, it says, What doeth it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doeth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. And notice this, particularly, the devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So the fact is, you can have a head belief, you can have an understanding, you can believe certain things and still not have saving faith or faith that will actually uh, help you in life with your fears and, and some of those things. The devils believe. They know who Jesus Christ is. They know who God is, but they don't place their faith in Him for a means of salvation or call Him Lord. That's not something to do. Faith is not acting foolishly, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later in the message. Faith is not placing selfish demands on God. Uh, James also says that you ask and have not. and Why not? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So we don't just go to God and demand things and say, well, I've got faith, so God has to give it to me. It's not a disregard for um, the whole of Scripture, in other words, we don't, um, we don't overlook other things in the scriptures and say, well, that's based on faith. We don't need to do those things. And it's not a leap in the dark. Sometimes people think faith is just this idea that you just believe in things that you have no reason to actually know if they're true or not. And that is not faith. Uh, that probably is foolishness, actually. Now, can we know everything about God? Can we know everything about our salvation? No. No. But God has given us enough to know. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And I realize that uh, Kevin has been going through Hebrews. But we can hardly talk about faith without taking a look at this passage. I don't know, and maybe you can think of one, but I don't know of another word in the Bible that specifically is given a definition that says this is what it is. I don't know if the Bible anywhere says, and love is, and then gives a definition outside of it, shows us what love is. The Bible shows us a lot of what faith is. We'll talk about that. But the Bible actually says, this is what faith is right here. And so we start in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's just look at that Uh, For a little bit, faith is the substance or it is the assurance or it is uh, a clear understanding with uh, reason to believe. Okay, It's the substance of things hoped for. And then it says the evidence of things not seen. So faith, you cannot necessarily see the things we believe in themselves. I didn't wake up this morning and see God in a visible form, but I've seen a lot about God this morning. I've seen Him work. I've seen His creation. I've seen a number of things that show me there is a God. And we talk about salvation. We talk about a number of these things, and you cannot necessarily see them with your eyes. And this is what happened in the 1600s, supposedly the Age of Enlightenment, when people began to say that the only thing you can be sure of are the things you can test with your five senses or things you can test in a laboratory. And so since some of these things you can't taste or see or smell or whatever, they say it can't exist. But there are evidences for it. The, the Bible does not ask us to believe something that is simply just um, something out there that we have no reason or no evidence for. In verse 2 it says, For by it the elders obtained a good report through faith. We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. We understand by faith that God created everything out of nothing, basically. The things that we can see were not things that, like he didn't take this and build this in a sense. He spoke it into existence. We understand that by faith. And four, let's just jump down to verse six, and then this is what is important to notice, but without faith it is impossible to please him or to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, I don't know if it uh, would have made any difference to you this morning of your coming to church if you would have known that the church had been that this church was no longer here. It was just a field and nothing nothing here. Well, we're going to go to church anyway. That would have been foolish to come here. Uh, no, if we were meeting here as a brotherhood. But what I'm saying is you wouldn't have come to a cornfield this morning, likely, by yourself, to have church. You came here because you knew the building was here. You knew the people were coming. You knew there was a service this morning. It's the same thing with God. You, God says that it is impossible to please him without faith, because if you're going to actually seek him, you have to believe he is. You don't just seek something that's not there. And then it says he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. He will reward them. I don't know how many of you are aware of this. It caught my attention this last summer. There was a man uh, by the name of Finn. I'll just read this. It says, after sitting undisturbed for more than 10 years, a treasure chest holding gold nuggets and precious gems has been found in the Rocky Mountains. The box was hidden by millionaire art dealer Forrest Fenn. His only clues included a map and a poem. But after countless quests, the search is over. 10 years. People have been going there and looking. I didn't know about it. Glad I didn't. That way I wouldn't tempted to go look for it. Until after somebody found it. And then it says, the treasure has been found. He wrote uh, in a statement uh, to someone, he says, it was under a canopy of stars in the lush forested vegetation of the Rocky Mountains and not been moved from the spot where I hid it more than 10 years ago. I do not know the person who found it, but the poem in my book led him to the precise spot. The successful seeker has not come forward. may not have paid taxes on it either. Um, the guy who found it does not want his name mentioned. His um, sister said he was a guy from back east. And from what I understand, there was over a million dollars worth of treasure in that box. Guy went out, ducked, put it in the rocket. Someone diligently sought for it and was rewarded quite well. They diligently looked for it. Now, I'm thankful. I, just out of curiosity, then I read that poem. didn't make a lot of sense to me but somebody it obviously did you know what I thought about when I read that poem I thought I am thankful that God has not made it that difficult for us to come to him he has made it very clear how we can come to him he's not made it that hard and yet it does say if we diligently seek him we can come to him so we must have faith to please God going on here uh, the Old Testament examples in, in Hebrews 11 here, now it starts talking about by faith Enoch, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, and on and on and on. And what's interesting is, if I were to ask you, how many times is the word faith used in the Old Testament? The actual word faith used in the Old Testament. Anyone, anyone want to, does anyone know, have a good idea on it? Well, you'd probably just be guessing then. Well, it actually is a little. Okay. In the King James Version, the word faith is used twice in the Old Testament. And, and uh, in the New Testament, the King James Version, it's used over hundred or 240 times. There's a shift. However, in the Old Testament, you can see that God often told Israel look what I have done for you, look what I have done, look what I've done. I took you out of Egypt, I did this, I fed you with manna, on and on and on. He gives them all these examples to have faith. Now, there are two words that are used in the Old Testament a lot. and One is faithful, but that often refers to men, faithful men, and then faithfulness, often referring to God. The people of the Old Testament recognized that they needed to be faithful because they had a faithful God. So it doesn't necessarily speak of faith, but you can see and this whole chapter is full of examples of people who had faith, but it was borne out in what they did, how they believed God, and they believed what God said was going to happen, and they followed through with it. This is something that I found regarding this word here in in, uh, Hebrews. It says the word faith can mean belief, trust, fidelity, firm persuasion, or firm conviction. But in the Bible, it always finds its object in God. Biblical faith is not belief in self or man, but in God. The constant use of the dative of means, in other words, by faith, in this chapter does not ascribe any magical power to faith itself, but simply sees that faith is the means by which we receive from God, the spring of our service for God, and the only acceptable basis of a satisfactory relationship with God. It comes out of the Beacon Commentary, and I think that's pretty accurate. Let's move on a little bit here. So, a faith that is based on evidence. If you look at Romans chapter 1, the scripture is very clear that God has given us reason enough to believe that there is a God simply from the creation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when it's talking about the resurrection, Paul gives evidences for it, and he even says, I think what he's trying to say there to the people at Corinth, if you don't believe in the resurrection, there's a bunch of people, 500 people saw him, and and a number of them are still living, pack up from Corinth, travel down to Jerusalem and talk to them, they'll tell you. He was not asking them to believe something that there was not evidence for, and God often did that. Thomas said, I don't know if I can believe this, and Jesus gave him the evidence to believe it. There was evidence. And the Bible has never been proven wrong, whether by science, archaeology, or history, or anything of the sort. The more they learn about science and the more they learn about history and archaeology, the more they actually see that the Bible is true and can be trusted. So God has given us something that we can trust in, we can have faith in, and he has given us the evidence to show that what he says is right and we can believe in it and trust it. A confidence in what we can see, uh, what we cannot see now, is part of faith. So we can have this confidence. Turn with me to Second Timothy. Look at verses 5 and Second Timothy chapter 5. Verses 5 to 7, he says, Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who, hath, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit, Therefore, we are always confident, we're confident in our faith, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. There is a fact that we can't always see everything, we can't see what's coming, but we trust, we have confidence in God, we trust because of our faith. And often we can see that God has worked in our lives before, And we can trust Him to move ahead. And we also see the reason for our hope. If we go back uh, to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into His grace, wherein we stand and rejoice, what? In the hope of the glory of God. And you will see the word hope and faith used a number of times together in the Scripture. Faith is our means of salvation. And you can see that in John chapter 8. I want you to just turn with me to these passages very quickly. John chapter 8 verse 24. In other words, without faith, we cannot be saved. In John chapter 8, verse 24, it says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. If ye believe not that I am He, Jesus speaking here, that I'm the Messiah, you shall die in your sins. Turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Says, and they said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house." And this follows on with um, in Acts there with the Philippian jailer. That's when he was talking about this. Romans chapter four, verse twenty-four says. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. And it's talking about, again, righteousness and justification being imputed. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we'll look at one more here. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we can see that faith is the means of our salvation, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to just look at a few examples of faith. If you're saying, well, what does faith look like? Uh, I'm just going to give you a few. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at a few passages here in Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, verse 10. And this is the centurion that told Jesus, just speak the words. I have people, I'm under authority. I have people that are under my authority. You don't have to come to my house. Just say the words and he'll be healed. And it says here in verse 10, And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. There's someone that had faith. God, just speak the word and you can do it. Just say it. I know you have the power to do it. Over in chapter 9, verses verses 22, and we'll jump down and grab uh, verses 27 to 30. And this is the woman touching his garment here in in verse 22. But Jesus turned about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Down to verse 27, it says, And when Jesus departed thence, Two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were open, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that thou that no man know it. And then on to Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. And this is disciples' unbelief. Um, and Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove and nothing shall be impossible unto you howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting sometimes we need to do those things as well well a lack of faith you can see in Matthew chapter 14 will not turn to that but Peter was walking on the water uh, he told Jesus, uh, hey, if it's you, just bid me to come. And he goes walking on the water, and all of a sudden, he sees the waves. And, he's, and this is the way we are often in life. We see something almost bigger than us, or it is bigger than us. And all of a sudden, we have fear. And that's what Jesus told him. He lacked faith, and he began to sink. But Jesus rescued him. Another time was uh, in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus calmed the storm. And then he said, why are you so fearful? Why are you so fearful? So there was a connection between that fearfulness and their lack of faith. So how do we grow our faith? Well, in Romans 10, 17, it says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. There is something, if you feel like you lack faith, I'm going to tell you something, your, your answer is right here in the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If you're not willing to hear and read the Word of God, your faith isn't going to grow. And sometimes we say, well, what's the point of preaching? And what's the point of teaching? And what's the point of devotions? I just, You want your faith to grow? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And then James 1.3 says this, if you want your faith to grow, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And I believe the trying of your faith It will increase your faith if you allow it to. Now, we're going to jump over and we're going to talk about fear for a little bit. Fear can be a sense of helplessness, panic, anxiety. Something or someone is under threat that you care about and you begin to get fearful. And uh, you can have a lot of fear in your life because uh, you're not sure you can't control things. And so you begin to have this fear and, and maybe it's a lack of faith, whatever it might be. Uh, faith may be based on several things. Uh, a lack of merit. In other words, your fear has no merit to it. Now, let's just talk a little bit about that. Think about a child, for instance. So, <clears throat> you young parents maybe know, and you have little children, and, and maybe they call you into the bedroom and they can't sleep, and uh, daddy, I... I and you say, what's wrong? Well, I'm afraid. What are you afraid of? Well, there's monsters under my bed. I'm sure there's monsters under my bed. You know, I've seen them. I know there's my. Now, I want to encourage you as parents, don't just say, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. There's no monsters in the house. There's no such thing. Just go to sleep and walk out the door. It's probably not the thing. You might tell them, look, if you saw a monster, it was probably just me coming in after a hard day work. There's nothing... That's not what, it wasn't a monster. Whatever you do, if it's dad in there, don't say, oh, that was your mother. You'll have some fears to deal with that are probably legitimate if you try that. But the fact is, a child has these fears. And those are times for teaching, times for helping them to learn to trust and not to just blow those fears away. And have you ever noticed a child, who are they going to call when they have those fears? It's someone they trust And we can, if we nurture that, help move them into adulthood, that when they have fears in adulthood, teens and older, that they go to the God that they can trust. If they're always told their fears are just illegitimate and dumb and whatever, they're going to think that that's the way God's going to look at their fears. And God doesn't look at our fears that way. And we'll see some passages regarding that. I remember as a boy and I hope I was really, really young. I'm pretty sure I was. I think it was after Kenton was in school, and I wasn't. And we lived on this road. It wasn't a lot of traffic. It was a gravel road, so you could hear or see somebody coming from a long ways off. And I don't know why, but I got into my head at one point that whenever somebody was coming down the road, I ran behind the trailer because I didn't want them to see me out in the yard. And that was kind of dumb. And I can still remember as a little tyke, and I hope I was really a little tyke, uh, thinking at one point, okay, this just doesn't make sense. I, I can't do this. It's, there's no reason for this. And I remember forcing myself to stay out in the yard after a few cars went by, and then it was kind of gone. Maybe that's why I still like places that are up a lane. I don't know. But it was a childlike fear. It had really no merit to it. We as adults have those kinds of things in our lives. We can have. Where we begin to have a fear about something that really has no merit to it at all. And we have someone that we can go to. So, we may have a, faith, or a fear that lacks merit. We may have one that lacks faith. We are not giving it up to God to take care of it. Maybe we're trusting something other than God for it. And we may have a fear that lacks foolishness. In other words, it's a, it's a proper fear to have. Talk about that a little bit later as a God-given emotion. Maybe I should just mention this now. So God-given emotions and concerns regarding our fear sometimes is legitimate. Actually, I think we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more when we get to the part on foolishness. So often in fear, fear the root of it is a lack of faith. That is very true. And people can be controlled by their fears. Like if someone has a fear, that, that they begin to allow that to control them. And we allow that to consume us. And I learned something uh, even more over this last year that not only can people be controlled by their fears, but fearful people can easily be controlled. And you think that through. And it's kind of sad. But it's the way it is. So, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And it's talking here now about Christ's work of salvation. And he said, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There is something about fear that brings us into bondage. He's talking here about those who through life feared death, and so they they never enjoyed life because they were afraid to die. And there are people today that are going through life with these fears that if we would simply turn this over to God and allow Him to, to help us in it. In Revelation 21, it says, But the fearful and unbelieving, and the, now look who it lists it with, the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, or in the lake which burneth the fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So why are the fearful and the unbelieving listed with all these? Because I believe in this sense right here, it's talking about those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and they're living in fear and unbelief. They have not placed their belief in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at one other thing that sometimes, and I'm hearing this more and more, uh, that is a very misuse of a passage. It's, it's one of the worst uh, ways, uh, it's just a terrible example of hermeneutics. In 2 Timothy verse 1, and the reason I bring this up is because this belief is being accepted in even some of our, what were not so long ago, uh, theologically sound Anabaptist churches. So in the King James, in, 1 Timothy, or in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, it says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And because it uses the word spirit of fear, there are people that are teaching that if you have fear, it's an evil spirit in your life, and you have to cast out the spirit of fear. Get, cast it out of your life like a demon and get rid of it. And that's not what this passage is talking about at all. And I'm not sure how someone honestly could get this out of this passage. I believe the Williams translation says it it has not given us the spirit of timidity. We're not to be timid as Christians. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives us a sound mind and proper thinking. And we don't have to be fearful about that, especially with regard to uh, speaking for Christ and being a Christian and so forth. He's not giving us a spirit. And the word spirit is used a number of ways in the, in the Bible. It's used basically the same word. It can be used for air. It can be used for your spirit. Someone has a spirit of gentleness. It doesn't mean they've got an actual spirit living in, in them. That's Mr. Gentleness. Uh, that's not the case. Or the spirit of fear, that's not what it's talking about. So if someone tells you that, if you're fearful and somebody says, well, you've got a spirit, you've got to get cast out, tell them to come and talk to, to me and we'll have a little chat. Um, Let's go on here. So fear, Jesus said that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When a child knows that they can walk along and hold their parent's hand, they don't have near the fears they do when all of a sudden, where's mom? Where's dad? And all, all these big people around and all of a sudden, Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says at the end of his discourse there with his disciples before he leaves he says I am with you always even unto the end of the world amen Jesus Christ is always with us in First John um, 4.18 and I would like to turn to these passages just to help us if you're struggling with fear uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 18 says There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And we could spend a lot of time on that passage, and we don't have that this morning. But there's something about a pure love for God and a pure love for others that takes care of a lot of our fears. Perfect love casteth out fear. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says there, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. We can't even understand the peace of God. And when you talk to sometimes people that are in uh, situations that are really tough, they say, I have a real peace. I I just have a peace. God has given me a peace. Uh, Maybe someone is facing death or someone's facing something in their life. And they just have this peace that they don't understand and we don't understand. People that have been in persecution at times have had a peace that was beyond understanding. So he said, it passeth understanding. It shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so uh, we, we just have this, well, in verse 6, I didn't read that. Be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. This morning, if you're struggling with a fear, uh, give it to God and, and don't Don't worry, and I know that's easier said than done. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, give your fear to God, and then I go home and I'm afraid about something, okay? We all have to work through these things. One of the things that someone said in this is that this is the heart of the deal with regard to brotherhood. People, what they are concerned about, what they fear, and those types of things is where we can help each other on our journey together and direct people to Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter chapter 5, a very familiar passage but so important, I believe, to this as we think about fear. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. I believe the key to this is the very first word in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care that word can mean anxiety casting all your anxiety upon him why because he careth for you jesus does care for us in luke chapter 12 and we must turn to to this passage just to show you a little something there in luke chapter 12 and this is where Jesus is talking about uh, fear in a number of ways there. And and I'm going to look at verses 22 to to 32. Read this quickly. talking about care and anxiety. So Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 32. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither... uh, "'Sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barn, and God feedeth them. "'How much more are ye better than the fowls? "'And which of you, uh, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? "'If you then not able to do that thing which is least, why take you thought for the rest? "'Consider the lilies, how they grow. "'They toil not, they spin not. "'And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these.' If then God so clothed the grass uh, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven how much more will he clothe you O ye of little faith and seek, ye not that, uh, and seek ye not what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink neither be ye of doubtful mind for all these things do the nations of the world seek after and your father knoweth that ye have need of these things but rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you and here's the note, what I want you to know fear not Little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Little flock, little flock. We're part of his little flock, and he says, don't fear. It is the Father's will to give you the kingdom. If God wants to give us the kingdom, how much more will he take care of these things in our lives that come along that we struggle with? I want to jump over quickly and take a look at foolishness. How about everybody stand up for just a second and sit back down? All right. Okay. Um, Not that you looked that uninterested, but I thought, well, I've been standing all this time. You might as well stand for a little bit. Okay, so foolishness. I want to just look at this uh, briefly. So, how does this correspond? Well, first of all, foolishness does not replace wisdom, okay, or faith, I'm sorry, does not replace wisdom. Rather, the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God, and so we don't do things that are foolish and say, well, um, you know, I've got faith. No. Wisdom comes into play, Okay? The beginning of wisdom is to fear God. It does not replace God's word. We don't do things that are contrary to God's word and say, well, I'm just going to do this by faith. That doesn't work. It doesn't replace advice from godly people. Maybe you're wanting to do something in your life and people are saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, well, I'm just going to do it by faith. I'm moving ahead by faith. Get out of my way. I've got faith. Well, you might have a good pile of foolishness right along with it. So, Be careful, it does not, and it doesn't um, negate the advice from the brotherhood, maybe from your parents, young people. Don't say, well, you just don't have enough faith. Maybe you don't have the experience you need. Faith is not bravado or recklessness. Faith doesn't come swaggering in and saying, I can do whatever. Um, It's not a disregard for legitimate concerns. There are some times people have legitimate concerns about something. And let me give you a couple examples. It's not an abandonment of all caution. Let me give you a couple examples. (coughs) If one of these, (coughs) excuse me, if one of these, uh, and I won't make them stand up so we point them out, but we probably have some 12, 13-year-old boys here this morning. And if one of those young men, were to be given the car keys to one of you guys' hot cars. I could pick out a couple of them, but, uh, <clears throat> and, and said, okay, Terrell, we want you to jump in. This boy is going to drive this car, going to head south on 13 toward 6. You know, that road gets a little like this down there. And, and we're going to see if he can get that thing up over at least over 120, and we'd like you to ride along. And don't worry about a seatbelt, because after all, you got faith. What could happen? I don't have that kind of faith because that kind of faith is foolishness. We could call it stupid, actually. God has given us actually legitimate fears in life. If you were to ask me to cross a tightrope 100 feet in the air between a couple of buildings or something... I would be afraid. Actually, I'd be afraid to do it probably six feet in the air, but that's beside the point. I wouldn't want to do it because it's not a good idea. It goes against laws of physics, for one thing, and the laws of age, and some of those, it just it wouldn't. There are a number of things like that in life. They're not all physical things, sometimes those things may be spiritual things. We don't throw car keys to 6 and 7 year olds and say go out drive all over the county. Oh, you might have them back a vehicle around a yard or something, but you don't send them out driving all over the county, you better not. Nor should we with regard to spiritual matters, church matters and some of those things throw the keys to the most immature and say, we'll listen to whatever you come up with. That making sense? There is a balance. In these things, it does not, faith does not get rid of legitimate concerns and it does not abandon all caution. Faith does not overlook history, rather, it grows on history. Look at the Old Testament over and over and over. God pointed out history. This is why you don't do this, this is why you do this. It does not tempt God. Faith does not tempt God. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 to 7. Jesus, here in the middle of his temptation, it says in verse 5, chapter 4. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him up on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And what did Jesus say? Sure, I'll show you my faith. Let me jump off of there and I'll float down. He could have done that. He said, It is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That's a principle that we must keep in mind. If Jesus would have done this, first of all, if he would have cast himself down, he would have been listening to the wrong voice. Sometimes we can do things that are foolish uh, by listening to the wrong voice, and he would have been tempting his father, and for that matter, it would have been a horrible example for us as his followers. He didn't do that. He could have. He didn't. We are not to tempt God and say, I've got the faith to do it. That's not how it works. Faith does not tempt God. You might say, and I've heard some of these things, well, you know what, if I go and I do this, you know, hey, if it's my time to go, I'll go, and if it's not, I won't, it's whatever. I want us to look at two passages in closing regarding that. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 27 says the fear of the Lord prolongeth days but the years of the wicked shall be shortened you can shorten your life from what God would like to give you now sometimes people are maybe killed or die at a very young age and that was God's will but you can be foolish And lose your life before God would like for you to. Don't ever write that off and say, well, if I jump out of an airplane without a parachute, if it's my time to go, I'll go. Yeah, it'll be your time. i guarantee it. Unless you're standing, you know, unless the plane hasn't taken off and you're (laughs) jumping out the edge. But if you're up in the air very far, it's going to be your time. That's just how it works. In Ecclesiastes, just a few pages over in your Bible probably to chapter 7. Verse 17 says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? And in this passage it almost seems to do that maybe you can worry yourself and work yourself and end up dying before you should. So what I want to encourage you with this morning is to live by faith. Fear God, keep his commandments, and don't assume foolishness will have a good end even if you think you have enough faith to cover it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for being a God that we can trust in. Thank you for being a God in whom we can place our faith. Thank you for our salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be able to discern in our lives when we have fears that are not legitimate and we are not having the faith we should. And give us, Lord, the strength to come to you and seek you for our uh, strength and our courage in those times. Help us to be courageous, and Lord, I just pray that you would show us in our lives when we are being foolish and not discerning your will. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.